Southwest of England, really, isn't it? You can see a large part of it. So the Somerset Levels, that's this big wetland down in front of us, but it's part of a huge sweeping plain. What can we see over there? Well, there's Glastonbury Tor with the tower on the top. That's a very distinctive landmark. And up here on the hillside, it's full of sheep. Yeah, down we're in a meadow, aren't we? It's yeah. a... It's a limestone meadows are really rich in species of plants. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're here for a purpose, aren't we? I've got with me this superb book by Pauline Oliveros, American composer, and it's called Deep Listening, a Composer's Sound Practice. I mean, in here there's a whole series of exercises designed to help you learn how to listen deeply, I guess. One of them, it's called Open Field. Well, that sounds perfect because that is exactly what we're in. Yeah, it's one of her deep listening pieces. <laughs> it's called Open Field and we are indeed in an open field. So I'm going to read it so to that's you. That's perfect, read it to me. But then we've both got to go away and do what it says. Okay. And then reconvene. Cool, okay. So it's called Open Field, 1980. And the text says, when a sight, sound, movement or place attracts your attention during your daily life, consider that moment an art experience, in inverted commas. Find a way to record an impression of this momentary art experience using any appropriate means or media. Share these experiences with each other and make them available to others. Okay, so, well that sounds good. So we need to consider... An art experience. So I propose that we each um, spend a few minutes. <laughs> okay. Doing what it Having says. an art experience. Considering the moment, an art experience, and then you've got to record an impression of it. Okay. Uh, are you up for that? Can do. I'm totally up for that. Right. I think. Um, should we head off into our respective art experiences and then reconvene in a little while? Okie doke. And um, we can compare that. That sounds good. How about that? Alrighty. Well, there you go. I've made an art about my listening and looking experience. You're sharing your artwork. I'm sharing my art. They're flight paths of all the things that are flying around this bramble bush. So some of them are going zigzag, zigzag up and down, so it's a display flight. The bumblebee landed on the flower and went round and round in a spiral. 
And the fly sat on the leaf and didn't do anything. (laughs) And the frog hopper's blowing bubbles, which I've drawn pink. And the ones that haven't got an insect, I didn't see what was flying. I just saw the flight path. There's a zigzag one. It's like it's looking for something, but that's horizontal rather than vertical. And the cricket just jumped, hence the dotted line. It went boing and then off the out into the grass at the bottom. I didn't see it. And there's a hoverfly sequentially visiting Herb Robert flowers underneath the bramble bush at the bottom. And a spider sat in its web and another spider hanging on a thread. Oh, you did a video art. Oh, good for you. I did think about doing that. Oh, that is so beautiful. You've got right down. What's cool is I'm watching it, but beyond the camera, I can see the same movement, but it's mirrored because you were down below it from where we're sitting. So they're moving the other way. But it's the same graceful movement in the wind. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's just just gorgeous. Now you see the buttercups in between them, and the buttercups are staying still, but the grasses are moving in the wind because that's what they've evolved to do. So I was wondering, just because I mean you're an artist, you know the answer to this. So <laughs> you just go around. And you take flatter a, me. Yes. You go around and take a photo like that. That's mm. a photo. It's like a snapshot. Yeah. What, what turns it into art, or is it already art? It's already art. It's art if you say it's art. It's like Duchamp's urinal. You decide. Okay. You decide whether it's art. And if you've decided it's art, then anybody else who comes along and goes, no, it's not, it's just a piece of crap. As far as you're concerned, they're wrong. I mean, they're entitled to their opinion, and they may be right. Consider that moment an art experience. So how does that differentiate it from a from a non-art experience moment? Because you've taken the time to stop and notice it. You come to a place like this and like every moment is, is an art experience if you choose to look at it that way. Maybe that's what she's getting at. I think it's a state of mind. What I was trying to do was think, OK, I've just taken a snapshot of an anthill. That wasn't intended as art. Mm. You could pretend it was art. But yep. I think it's an internal... Well, I was thinking oh, it's an it's, internal process. It's got to be some underlying idea. Yeah, it's got. To, you've, you need to have a concept behind it. So I was thinking with my video of grass. I was mm. actually thinking, well, what really strikes me here is scale. Yes. So you've got, and she's talking about this in this space-time continuum of sound. Yeah. So you've got, the, like you were saying, the micro sound. Yeah, I think we've both we've both kind of arrived at the same same yeah. place with that. And then you've got this broader landscape of sounds, and I was mm. trying to capture both of those, but in a video, I was trying to get down really low so I could get mm. the foreground of grass. Yeah, and the... so it all looks really big, so you're getting a sort of an ant's eye view, and the ant's never been out the field, so as far as they're concerned, that's, that's the, the whole, whole universe. universe. Yeah, it's but I was trying to get behind the grass this massive sweeping landscape we can see below us uh, and totally failed because I couldn't get that to work with my camera. <laughs> you need something with a much bigger no, I depth better of technique. Yeah. yeah, better depth yeah. of feel. But the, there was a concept there which was, I mean, that's why I love haiku poetry, this idea that you Yeah, the, the, the micro to the macro scale. Yeah, I think the whole that's what you, particularly in a landscape like this. Yeah. I think that's okay, what you get so out are you of saying it. that we would get drawn to the same? 
artists. I think we've both ended up at the same place. Isn't that interesting? And it's one that's relevant to Pauline Oliver. Well, it's what's come out concept. of it's what's come out of her concept. Mm. When she's talking about the space-time continuum thing, she's also talking about how so many moments of your life just pass you by. They're just lost in the background or the vastness of the whatever. So to actually stop and pick one out and go, this moment of my life is art, is a very significant thing. So it's sort of saying, celebrating it and saying yeah. this is a special moment. This is a special moment. And I think she's sort of making the point that actually they're all special moments. So you could pick any one of them at random or any little bit and go, I'm, this is art, I'm forgetting about all the daily whatever mm. and I'm focusing on it, it's a mindful thing. Yeah, it is. And like, I'm making it, it art. So you're putting it on a little pedestal. Yeah. Saying but, this is special. But who's to say that actually all of those other moments aren't art? You just didn't stop mm. and consider them that way. And I think I, I think, think that's, that's very that sounds very, very convincing. Profound. Yeah. I think that's, that's a very what convincing I've got take out of it. it. So she says share these experiences with each other. Well so that's yeah. been important because neither of us would have got to that understanding without discussing it. Yeah, that's quite good, isn't mm. it? Sharing it. Uh-huh. I think that's an important part of it. She's not really talked these. about emotion there. Like, what no. did it mean to you to look at an anthill or to... No, but I think, I think she's expecting that to come out of it. This is an exercise. continuing with our exploration of deep listening and if we dip again into Pauline Oliveros's book about deep listening she has a section on field recording and she says what a useful thing it is to go out and do field recording to become more sensitive to sounds and the actual process of recording can help you focus on attention on sounds that normally you don't notice. And of course, field recording has become a much more popular thing recently. It's become a recognised part of sound art practice. And I think Pauline Oliveros is one of the people that helped make that happen. So she has some exercises in her book around making recordings, and we've been making a recording, haven't we? We have been making a recording. We are making a recording right now. Well, I think it's cool to do field recording in a field well, <laughs> and we're yeah, in a field again a field. <laughs> and it's a different field than yesterday but it's another nature reserve isn't it or is it the same one no the one we were in yesterday is like down there and over that wall I think so it's another, very close. another field in a nature reserve we're looking at the same church tower we're looking at the same broad view over the Somerset levels it's a big wetland So, in her book, Pauline writes about how to do deep listening. 
And we've been trying to do it. <laughs> okay, tell me how to do deep listening. How to do deep listening. So you need to listen inclusively for the interplay of sounds in the whole space-time continuum, which is what we were trying to work out yesterday. yesterday. Yep. Include the sounds of your own thoughts. That's pretty cool. If a, if a sound takes your attention to a focus, then follow the sound all the way to the end as you return to the whole of the space-time continuum. Ah, so you're localising the sound within the entirety of what you can hear. I think you've got it exactly. Okay. There are two forms of attention, focal and global. Yes. And it says they're directed in deep listening practice. And by the way, she does say you need to practice deep listening yes. <laughs> to get good it at it. It is a practice. So it is a practice. It is a practice, and practice makes perfect. Yeah, so you've got so to work So it's a practice at in it. the sense that you have to practice, as well as just a practice in the sense of it's what you do. Yeah, I think that's exactly yeah. the case. So she says that these two forms of attention, focal and global, are directed in deep listening practice to sound or silence. So she says, an objective is to feel the sharp contrast between the two forms of attention. The clear detail of a sound or sequence of sounds using focal attention and the expansion to multiple sources sounding simultaneously in multi-dimensions with the global attention. So that's like zooming into the, yeah. an individual skylark maybe. Yeah. Listening to that carefully. And then zooming out and hearing the context of all the other ones singing around it or the not. The whole soundscape, I guess. Mm. And I think that's at the core of it. It says, the, deep, the practice of deep listening encourages the balancing of these two forms of attention so that, so that one can flexibly employ both forms and recognise the difference between these two forms of listening. She says focal attention is like a lens producing clear detail limited to the object of attention. Yeah. So you could it's be focusing just on that. What interests me is that she does, she does actually use visual vocabulary to describe these sonic things, whereas I would have said, well, it's more like having a parabolic microphone that you can point at a particular sound source and then it'll exclude the That's you know you can hear the birds singing right. in the tree yeah, but so not she... the traffic behind you. But when she's describing it, yeah. oh, I've just been bitten by an ant. I'm sitting on its ant hill. That's you don't do that. it. <laughs> ants in the pants. I wonder is my wrist. Okay, well, we've been doing this exercise, we've been doing field recording, and we've been doing, we've been trying to <laughs> do our deep listening practice. But it says here that it's important to review your listening experience and to compare your prior and after feelings, sensations, intuitions, and thoughts. 
Well, they might. It's like yesterday's one, the discussing it part is really important. Yeah, she does seem yeah. keen on that. You're still being bitten by ants. I'm getting aren't bitten you? by ants, and <laughs> also this ant hill is They're very seriously old. Seriously, in your pants now. You're actually right on top of an ant hill. I'm actually hill. sitting on an ant hill. I mean, do you feel any different to how you did when you first sat down, apart from having now? Uh, apart from having bites. a numbum and ant. <laughs> I'm feeling more connected with this place, but that's a thing that you do when you sit in a place and you look and you listen. So not exclusive a, to listening. You make a connection. Yeah, that's but true. I guess, yeah, I mean, you've made a listening connection and the recording that we've made is very much located in this particular place at this particular time. So you do feel a bit different? Yeah. I'd recognise this ant hill if I came back again. I'm feeling profoundly relaxed and happy and it's connected me back to being six and sitting in the garden watching insects again, which is always something I really like to do. Well, that's a lovely feeling then. It is a fantastic feeling and just having the time to sit and talk and think and it's a fantastic luxury yeah it's a privilege isn't it it's an absolute privilege You're ready to walk silently. Mm-hmm. Where would you like to go? Okay, you're ready to walk slowly. Alright, what we're we doing? Silently. Silently. So we've just been outside for our nocturnal adventure. And just to recap, the instruction was from Pauline Oliveros, take a walk at night, which we did. Walk so silently that the bottoms of your feet become ears. And it worked, didn't it? It totally did. So what did it... How did it affect how you were well, walking? Well, within about three paces, you start to realise that just walking makes a lot of noise, no matter how silent you try to be. 
And I think what she means by the feet and ears thing is that the quieter you try to be, the more sensitive you become to the noise your feet are making. So you start to use your feet to differentiate between the different surfaces you're walking on and the sound that they'll make. Yes, yeah, so you all, I, I was feeling like, if my feet are ears, then this is so loud. Yeah, <laughs> although actually we were hardly making any noise at all. But because there's so little other noise and you're not making any other noise, you become really sensitised to it, so your feet effectively do become ears. And she said, take a walk at night. And that had an impact too, didn't it? Because it was very still out there and actually very quiet. So there's some... That's quite interesting. I've never really thought about it before, but the sort of... The sound quality changes at night somehow. It does. And I think also, again, she's doing a a visual thing. Okay. Because it's like almost like sensory deprivation. They say that if you lose one sense, the others become sharpened. So because you can't see anything, I mean, okay, we cheated a bit and we had a torch, so we didn't fall in the ditch with all the things. Say you can't have a torch. No, it doesn't. (laughs) But I think the idea is that because it's dark and you're not looking at stuff, you're listening more acutely in order to be. Monitoring the environment. That's a really you. good point. I hadn't thought of that, but I think we were we were listening. We were. Cute. And I think we it being really still. Really well, that really that. helped, yeah. But just taking that visual dimension out of it, or almost out of it, I mean, you're not, you know, you can't see much with a little torch. You're not really seeing colours. You're not seeing this big distant view that we've been seeing all week, all these other things. So you're really focused on you and your body and the space that it occupies and the weight of it and the noise that it makes.
And I did read somewhere how many nerves you have in your feet. It's some, I think it's 7,000. So it's some huge number. So our feet are actually really sensitive. They're very, they're very sensitive. To vibe, to vibe, well, I suppose to its sort of texture and yeah, so the when surface you're on. When you're crunching these little bits of gravel or whatever. I mean, we've just walked on we a, tried hard a gravelly farmyard and then a gravelly road. <laughs> yeah, it was really gravelly. So it was really gravelly experience. <laughs> bit. But they're tiny little bits, so they're almost like big grains of yeah. sand. And but you they can seem tell, really loud, you can, they? No, 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 get this. You can tell that they're little tiny grains yeah. from the sound they make when you walk on them. Right. And that's part of what she's getting at, is you are actually using your feet to deduce something about the environment that you can't, you can't see because it's dark. Right. So she's making you use your other senses to get this information about the environment. But once again, and a very simple one-line instruction, yeah. and it gives you a profoundly different way of relating to and understanding your environment. I think that's right. I think that was fantastic. And we heard an owl, which was... It was we heard a pair owl. of owls. The nesting outside our, our little house here. So we think that was the parent owls <laughs> going out hunting for voles or something to feed to their young, which is in the nest. Who you heard? Who kept you awake last night? Didn't it? He woke me up twice last night because so, he gets so excited when he gets fed. He was making noise all night, except when he got. Fed. And then he made a lot of noise when he was about to be fed. And then he shut up. <laughs> shut up. Is he making a noise now? Do you want to try opening no, the window? No, we'd hear him if he was making oh. a noise. I can open the window, but I don't think, I don't think he's, he's making a noise. noise. It's a sort of pisspeep sound, isn't it? Can we hear him? Use your feet. One of the pieces in the book Deep Listening by Pauline Oliveros gives a short instruction. It says, sit by the trees. What kind of tree makes what kind of sound? So, <laughs> we're, we're sitting by an ash tree. Fraxinus excelsior. A dying back ash is it dying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got dieback dieback disease. But nonetheless, it's making some sounds. So I think we should follow Pauline's advice here and um, listen. And by the way, it's raining. This is a classic 
which is some holiday experience. I haven't been completely honest here. We're actually sat inside a car, <laughs> but we are directly under this tree in a lay-by, staring at a wall of rain. Which would be the most beautiful view in Somerset if we could see it, but we can't. No, it's just rain. But we have a flask of tea, so that's fine.
So we've done another, oh, we just finished another one of Pauline Oliveros's pieces, which is called An Extreme Slow Walk. And the instruction is, moving as slowly as possible, step forward with the heel to the ground first, let the weight of the body shift on the outside edge of the foot to the small toe, and across to the large toe. Maintain good posture with shoulders relaxed and head erect, which we try to do. And the bit I love about this, it says, the challenge for this exercise is that no matter how slow you're walking, you can always go much slower, which has got to be true. So I'm fascinated to know, here's Lynn here again, we did it together over a very crunchy gravel just along the path here. And, uh, it's interesting because although it's a nature reserve, it's actually an abandoned lead mine. It's a lead working. Lead working. So there's a load of ancient slag, I guess. What would you call it? Slag heaps. Slag heaps. Glassy stuff. It's like obsidian. It's like slag from some kiln or other. Oh, that's it. So we're walking across a very post-industrial wasteland, <laughs> very scrunchy and very sharp. So what did you make of the extreme slow walk? Did you enjoy the experience? I did. I wasn't quite sure what to expect, um, but I did find I got into a rhythm, and it makes you very, very mindful because you have to be mindful of where your weight is and your centre of gravity all the time. Because you're moving slowly, you haven't got any momentum to keep you up. So you have to really focus on your posture and where your weight goes and not falling over. So you get into a rhythm, and then... Once you've got a rhythm, you can slow down the metronome in your head, if you like, so you're doing the same actions, but you're doing them more slowly. And that wasn't how I was expecting it to go. Yeah, it certainly focuses you on mm. your own body and how it moves, it does. doesn't it? And you're not making sound. We were saying this as we were coming up on our walk earlier, that if you're walking at a normal speed, there's the sound of your footsteps, there's the rhythm of your footsteps, your zip may be jingling, your clothes may be rustling, you're breathing more heavily because you're moving faster, so you're actually making quite a lot of noise on your own account when you're going for a brisk walk. Whereas if you're doing the really slow one, you're really not making much noise at all, and you do still have footfalls, but they're much more So does it, long I mean, the interesting thing is, although this is an exercise of deep listening, um, there's nothing about listening in it at all. No, but it makes you listen. And you're listening to your internal rhythm, if you like, and you're listening to the external sounds, and you become very aware of the sounds that you are making because you're making so little noise. Yeah. You become much more aware of putting your feet, your, your feet down and the substrate that you're putting them down on, so whether it's crunchy gravel or turf, which is at that speed almost silent, and you really notice it when you go from one substrate yeah, I, I to another. I thought that, you're right, I thought it was... Uh quite an ecological aspect to this because mm. it does make you acutely aware of where you're placing your feet yes. and almost what impact they're having. So, yeah, the turf, but that's full of species, isn't it? it so is. you become acutely conscious of what you're stepping in. I'm interested to know, though, whether uh, what you got from the experience, apart from that, I mean, um, did, it, did, did you find it restful? Or? I did. I did. It's quite nice not having to walk fast and not really having an objective it's just are we going to walk slowly for a bit and then we're going to stop and somehow you know when it's the right time to stop because it doesn't specify that in the score no, it either. it's That's very true. open-ended 
Yeah, so it's potentially infinite. <laughs> you do the process until you sort of understand how the process works. Until you've got out of it what you're going to get out of it. Well, I'll tell you what I got out of it. What yeah, I really you tell loved, me what you got out of it. I really love the fact that everything going by, the landscapes rolling by you, at an incredibly slow speed. <laughs> Apart from underfoot are masses of baby grasshoppers and they're all going way faster than you. Yeah, but it was like the ground is passing by but very slow and I, I yeah, found that very restful. The whole nice. thing I found very relaxing and really put my mind in a good place. And uh, Well, that's really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Just being in the landscape. This, this, this is what it says about it, the commentary. You may discover the point-to-point -point connections of movement and or the merging into the experience of flow. So, yes. So did you get any of the... Uh, yes, did I you discover did. any point-to-point -point connections of movement? I think I really did. Oh, ah, cool. Because you put your foot down, you check your centre of gravity, and then you engage your quads and you take the weight on that leg, and then you lift the other one up and you put it down and you check. And it's a repeating process. Yeah, and it does make you very aware of how those separate processes are connected. And when you walk, you don't normally think about that. Your brain just does it. Yeah. But it's, it's making you think about the separate elements of, of walking and movement. Yeah, it increases your awareness yeah. of that process. And like you were saying, your own, your own mass, the space that you occupy in the environment and all of that, she's very concerned with the whole space-time continuum. Well, thing. what about merging into the experience of flow? Did you do that? Well, I guess, because after a while you get into a, into a rhythm and you are... You're doing these separate processes, but they flow very naturally one into the other. So, yes, I think you do. You get to it through movement, which is really interesting. Well, I think maybe what she's getting up there partly is um, becoming more aware of how the universe surrounding you is moving on, that temporal... Yes, yeah, the temporal dimension flow. again, isn't it? Yeah. So you become more aware of like, the, what's happening around you. I think, I think it definitely did that for me. Yeah, because flow. you're not passing it by, it's passing you by. So That's it's it about felt. relativity. Great. The other thing that really struck us is when we went back to our normal pace, it felt really fast. It felt like you're whizzing along, yeah. whizzing through the landscape. You're missing a load of stuff. Right. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So it does, again, it changes shift your how you relate to your environment. I suppose that's what it's all about. It does shift your perception. Excellent. Does it make you a better listener, though? I'm, not sure. I'm still not sure about that. Or a deeper listener. I think it makes you a deeper listener because it takes you out. You're not distracted by the sounds you're making and you've got time to appreciate, to appreciate it. Another exercise that's described in Pauline Oliver's book is called A Study in Pulses. And this recognises the fact that both natural and urban environments are full of pulses and patterns. So the instruction for the piece says, try to record the most interesting pulses or patterns that you can find in your daily environment. And then, using a variety of different processing techniques, create a three-minute piece using your own and others' files. So Lynn and I had a go at doing this using sounds that we collected in the converted barn that we were staying in during our visit to the Mendips. So during this piece, you can hear the sounds of the hot water system, a refrigerator, and this sounds of making a cup of tea, among others. And as it says in the book, I think this piece provides an opportunity to create unusual polyrhythmic textures by combining varieties of pulses 
and processing them with different effects. So hopefully you'll hear in our version some unusual polyrhythmic textures. So now we're visiting a different nature reserve. We've come off the Mendip Hills and we're now down in the, uh, the Avalon Marshes. So this is a particular nature reserve which is a wetland called West Hay Moor, I think. Yeah. And it's part of this big complex of wetlands that form the Somerset Levels which have mostly been drained, but there's these amazing islands of that are still wet and they're just full of wildlife. So I don't think I've ever heard 
so many cuckoos in my whole life in one place. And we also heard bitterns booming, which was really, really special. I've never heard that before. It's the first time I've ever heard that. Have you heard that before? No. Absolutely stunning place, full of bird life and loads of insects, insects and plants. And spiders. Uh -huh. It's a very good place for spiders. I've seen so many light. different spiders today. I haven't noticed any. No, well. I don't like spiders. You're tuning them out, aren't you? I tune them out. Selective attention right there. So now we're sat inside a bird hide. So I always love going to bird hides because they're like little, little shrines to birds. So for today, going back to Pauline Oliver's book, she has a piece called Scanning the Hearing, which says that a group of samples to scan the soundscape by listening. So we've been trying to do that, haven't we? Mm -hmm. When somebody feels the impulse to know what others are hearing, a signal such as raising a hand is made. So if you mm -hmm. wave to me then group members share what they're hearing at that moment. Well, that sounds interesting. Are you willing to play that game? Yeah. So we just sit and listen for a bit, and then when you raise your hand... Binoculars down. So we can share what we're, we're hearing. OK.
All right, so I'm going to share what I'm... I mean, I think this is a brilliant place for for listening, but in a way that relates to what we learned in the previous exercises. So there's a big reed bed in front of us, and it's full of birds, but they're all hidden. But we can hear some of them. So there's lots of calls that I keep noticing of things like reed warblers, I think. Other small birds. But the sound I really love here is this um, right just by the hide, there's a load of reeds. And the wind just blows through them, makes this lovely uh, susurration. Is that the right word? Yeah. <laughs> I thought about it, I'd even be able to spell it. Cuckoos, so whenever the cuckoos call, you can't help but notice them. And there's lots of them, all at different points in the landscape. So they're calling to each other. So again, that's this really spatial element that Pauline was telling us to be aware of. But it's a very good place, as I say, for these micro sounds in the foreground, like the reeds and the insects mm-hmm. right here. They'll plop. <laughs> and then zooming out, I, we've had <laughs> today just... Continual planes get smaller. Yeah, I can aircraft. still hear one yeah. to our left, up towards the coast. Whenever they, ha- they sort of impose on your listening, I suppose. I mean, I think we have to accept them just as uh, parts part of the soundscape, don't we? Yeah. But they're just there. But that's this broader continuum that Pauline was talking about wasn't it but we're not it's really hearing content. hearing road traffic no we? there's we're no a long that's way off true. the roads which so is really special so we're not special. really hearing cars or agricultural machinery or anything but we are hearing air traffic too. so that's really makes you aware of the way this there's a small <laughs> island <laughs> it's an island of the sort of natural sounds within this big context of intensive agriculture and humans doing stuff with machines. Do what you don't, you just have to accept that that is a part of the soundscape. Um, yeah, and it tells us something, doesn't it, yeah. about the relationship between nature and people somehow. Well, nature's going squeezed. Getting squeezed, yeah. Little places like this. Well, what's supposed to happen now is I'm supposed to raise my hand and you're supposed to know what you're hearing. It's an indeterminate moment in the future. Oh, okay. <laughs> One thing I've noticed about this exercise is you have to look at each other. Yeah, so there is, again, there's a visual element. You have to be communicating, even though you're listening independently. Yeah, you, you can't be looking at what be, you're listening to. You've got to look at the other person. Look at the other person. You're definitely going to raise their hand. So it's sharing. It's about sharing listening, I suppose. Mm-hmm. We each perceive it differently, I suppose, too. I'm still hearing that is a bunch of baby egrets shouting to be fed I think really (laughs) quite noisily (laughs) did egrets actually go extinct in Britain they did didn't they they hunted out the hat plume yeah they, they were hunted out yeah but they are now back and breeding. I can hear them doing it. 
There's lots of tiny birds about in these reed beds. And the reeds never stop rustling. It doesn't take much wind to rustle. No, it does not, does it? And over there I can hear a coot having a bath. Well, another thing she says in her, it's actually a different exercise, but... They're all related, really. They're all related, so I thought we might dip into this, because one of the oh, other things that uh, she asks, are you aware of feelings as you listen? Feelings develop over time related to experiences. So, how are you feeling about what you're listening to? Well, I started out being annoyed that there were so many planes, but eventually, like you say, you just come to see it or hear it as part of the soundscape. So it stopped annoying me. Really. So how are you feeling now? Very peaceful. Maybe fly buzzing around. I'm really enjoying this. This is an absolute treat and pleasure. It's a yeah. deep sort of pleasure to be in an environment like this where you're surrounded by an abundance of all sorts of stuff. Yes, it's just full of life, isn't it? Yeah, flowers and insects and birds and... and spiders. But now, I was interested oh, to, uh, to hear what, yeah. you, what you've taken from the exercises mm. we've done. Well, certainly never look at or listen to anything in quite the same way again, which I think is the point, really, isn't it? It changes your relationship with the environment around you. It makes yeah. you more aware of your place in it and how you relate to it. I think it does. I think, I think really you're valuable. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with you. They're, they're really simple exercises, but mm. they're surprisingly profound, aren't they? Well, the one I've been using today is while trying not to make noises and disturb the recordings that you've been doing, is mm. doing this thing where she goes, walk so quietly that the bottoms of your feet become ears. Oh, yeah. And you become very sensitive to the substrate you're walking on and the noise that it makes and whether it's gravel or mud or whatever. Yeah. And that's actually been really useful. Yeah, you become acutely aware mm, of you what do. you're doing in terms of your impact on the environment. Yeah, you do. And the sounds that you make yourself and you're not aware of it. It surprised me in these exercises that there wasn't more actually about listening. I mean, I've chosen ones where, like today, you were scanning and hearing, but a lot of them aren't. No, no, lots of them are more sort of performative or. But they are teaching you to listen, but not in a direct way. Yeah, I really like that. I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's a sort of whole body approach to listening. Well, I think that's part of her point: is that Mm. you do. It's not just your ears, but but your eyes and you and your senses and your whole body. How you're feeling. And, and your feelings. Because yeah. how you feel determines, you know, it influences what you, what you perceive. How you feel about a, a place. Yeah, she's interested in what you experience as yeah, you listen. Yeah, it's the psychology of experience. I like this one. She says, are you engaged in a daydream as you listen? No, not here. I think I know what she means a bit because it's sort of slightly hallucinatory to just listen. I suppose that's the thing about listening as an experience versus 
sticking the microphone up and recording it because the microphone just gets everything. Well, it gets something different to what we get. I'm quite mm. interested to... Uh, it doesn't have the filters that we no. have. And it doesn't have... I mean, OK, you could use a it's not parabolic anything. dish and you could point it in different places and it would like, you could, like focusing its attention. But it's not, it's not selective in the way that the human brain is. It's not having a daydream. It's not having a daydream. No. Well, I th- think we, we should. Um, I think we should thank Pauline because it's enriched our week, hasn't it? Absolutely. Thank you, Pauline. Thank it you, has Pauline. massively enriched our week. Yeah, Just it has. having this text as a as a focus and dipping into it and having these different experiences. It's been really valuable and we'll never yeah. be quite the same again. No, it, has de- it really has uh, affected how we feel about the places we've been, yeah. hasn't it? It has. It's been enriching, definitely. And it's been so much fun just going to a place and going, right, which exercise are we going to do today? Because they've all been really interesting. Pauline, this is a great gift that you've given us. Hmm. You don't always get from these what you think you're going to get, but you always get something. We've never done a single one and thought, what was the point of that there? No, that, you're right there. They've all been... There's been a point to all of them, and the more you do, the more you start to see how they all link to yeah. her kind of way of thinking about creative stuff. <laughs> 